Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. And in verse 6, And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for ten days. End of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacred scriptures. But help us, Father, to be faithful to the holy scriptures. Father, it's only by your grace that we are faithful to the scriptures in this church. Please help us, Father, not to sway to the left or to the right, but hold fast the complete canon of scripture. Thank you again for the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
And thank you again for Jesus who helps us to understand the Old Testament when we read it. Thank you, Father, the Holy Spirit who illuminates the Scriptures, who teaches us the truth. So help us, Father, to, to know truth so we can walk in truth and love in this dark world, in this dark world. But thank you now, Father, for the book of Daniel. Thank you that we can learn from Daniel, living as an exile, living as an alien in a foreign land. Help us now, Father. Help me to be clear and understood. Pray on us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Hopefully we will get to know Daniel as we preach from this lovely book. But one thing we must remember, that when Daniel was taken into exile, he was 15, 15 years old. And in verse 21, and Daniel was there until the year of King Cyrus, or well, that was in the year 536 BC, Daniel was plus minus 85 years. So he lived a good life in Babylon. But we'll see more of that as we work through the book of Daniel. I remember in one of our home fellowship groups when we spoke about Daniel in the lion's den, people were like, how old was Daniel? And if you read through chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and you get to chapter 6, I think maybe Daniel was a young boy. No, he was about 65 years old when he was in the lion's den. So we, it's important that we don't just see Daniel as a figure, but it's good to see his age as well. Because if we take the youth here and throw them into some place which is completely pagan, how will they come out at the end? When they are 85, would they be faithful to their God, who we talk about here every morning? 16, 15, 16 years old, same as Joseph. So this morning we want to continue with looking at God rules, because God rules in all circumstances. Some people only want to know God when He rules in the good things, and they want to ignore Him in the bad things. But God is sovereign over all things. He rules over men and nations. He establishes kingdoms, He establishes kings, and He brings them down as well. And when I talk about kings, in our time I'm talking about presidents, prime ministers, whoever is heading up their country. Proverbs reminds us about kings. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God controls our president. As much as he thinks he is in control, God has got his hand and he turns him where he wants to. The book of Daniel starts with God's sovereignty of the events of history and human relationships and circumstances. And why is it important to know this? Because it can encourage us to look at how God, like we sang, stepped into darkness. Because that's who our God is. He's always coming to help His people. And we can learn to trust in this God who directs history, who, who is involved in history. Like someone said, history is His story. His story. It's His story. From beginning to end, it's God's history. It's His story. 
The opening chapter in, in the book of Daniel starts with Daniel and his friends in, in, in exile, in, in Babylon. And the closing chapter, it's vision of the future. We see God achieves victory in the world. It looks like God's defeated in this world. Look what's happening overseas. Some of the churches just it's on a down spiral. Just look at the UK. Some of the churches are turning into museums, into mosques, into synagogues, or whatever. You know, people aren't meeting there on a Sunday in the morning to worship the true living God. But like a lot of people say, let's dare to be Daniel. No, I say, let's dare to trust in Daniel's God as we endure in this dark world. The same quote I read last week is a beautiful quote. We worship and serve a sovereign God who is never caught by surprise. No matter what our circumstances may be, we can always say with confidence, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Hallelujah! Is that on our lips? Is that in our hearts? That nothing catches our God by surprise? And He reigns. He rules. God is on the throne. Everything looks like it's defeated here on earth. But actually there's victory in heaven. And all the kingdoms feel like they have victory on earth. But they are defeated in heaven. Unless they repent. And we'll see what God does to Nebuchadnezzar. How he eventually repents when he comes to his senses. So no, no matter what goes on in our country, our lives, whatever goes on, we must trust God. Look to God. So quickly, before I move on to our second evidence of God's rule in this world, let me encourage us to, to trust in God as we just look briefly and recap our first evidence that we looked at last week. If you want to hear a more fleshed out introductory, you can go and listen to last week's sermon. The first evidence of God's rule in this world is God gave Jerusalem to King Nebuchadnezzar. Which we read in verses 1 to 7 of Daniel chapter 1. It just tells you. As much as King Nebuchadnezzar wants to boast and say, look what I've done, look, look at this great kingdom I've taken now, Jerusalem. No, King Nebuchadnezzar, God gave it to you. God is the one that gave Jerusalem into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar and everything else that went with it. God can do the same to this church. He can give it into the hands of the enemy. If we become unfaithful and start getting caught up in apostasy. We are warned. Go read the seven churches in, in Revelation. And there are warnings to repent. And if you don't repent, I'll come and move this lampstand from you. The church, Jesus says. God gave his people into the hand of their enemies. But God warns us. That's the beautiful thing about God. He's a just God. He's a loving, caring, compassionate God. He wouldn't just come here and, and take this church away. We are warned in the Bible. We are warned in the book of Hebrews. There are five warnings that, that help us to hold fast Christ and all his teachings. 
But as soon as you start toying with them, as soon as you start wavering from the Scriptures and become shipwrecked, there's a chance where God will just come and bring judgment upon the household of God. Which He did. This is God's judgment upon Jerusalem, upon the temple, because of apostasy. This went on for generations and generations. God sent prophets to come and warn the people to turn from apostasy back to the true living God. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, there are warnings of, and also Deuteronomy, chapter 30, about you obey me, you'll be blessed. You disobey me, you'll be cursed. And God is faithful to His word. He's faithful to His promises. Because He's in a covenant relationship with Israel, and now He's in a new covenant relationship with us through His Son, Christ Jesus. <coughs> And so because of Jerusalem's disobedience, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar came and took Jerusalem and all the people, most of the people, into captivity. All the way to Babylon. But yeah, in 605 BC, remember we read BC backwards, so in 605 BC, until 586, it was in 605 BC that that King Nebuchadnezzar came and took some youth to Babylon. And that was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And others as well. There wouldn't have just been them, but these names are mentioned. And, they, and he took them to live in a foreign land as exiles. And it's going to be tough. We are exiles. We are pilgrims passing through. This is not our home. This is not our this is not our land. We live as aliens, as strangers here in this land. And we also live in a hostile world. It's always going to try to squeeze us into its mold. And we see that all over what's happening to churches, how the world is trying to squeeze them into same-sex marriage, squeeze them into, into other things as well. Satan and the world will try their best to control our minds, to get rid of God from our minds, get rid of God from our churches. That's why we meet together and we come together every Sunday to encourage each other, to stimulate each other to love and good deeds, to hold fast what we hold on to. Because it's so easy to, to wander off. And the less you're in church, the more of an opportunity you're going to have to see what goes on in the world and eventually walk away from God. God is ruling over everything. He gave Jerusalem, He gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And then the king asked for some good youth of royal family and of the nobility. And then we read there that it was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He gave into their hands as well. And yet King Nebuchadnezzar thinks, oh, it's going to benefit him. Because now he's getting some really, really great thinkers, great minds together. He's going to learn their language, going to learn everything. But no, God is also doing it for the benefit of His own people. God 
steps down into darkness. God steps down into the mess that His people have made and He's still there with them. God is always present. God's providence is there, but it might be in a mysterious way. It might not be in a mystery. And it's amazing, these four men did not fight their situation. They trusted God, the God that rules. And they, and they, and they still went to the king, which we will see. Not the king, the, 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 the man that was in charge. The chief of the eunuchs. And asked a favor. But let's not forget, as we end this first evidence, that God rules in this world. And God is the one that gives things over. Let us be aware, let us read the scriptures and be warned that we serve a faithful God. God is always faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful. But let's look at the second evidence of God's rule in, this, in the world. And the second evidence of God's rule in the world is God gave favor to Daniel and his friends, which we read in verses 8 to 21 of Daniel chapter 1. It's amazing that God has kind of taken the Jewish folk out of Jerusalem and given them over to King Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon but he still continues to rule with grace you would think God would just abandon him but God is not like that, that parent that when their children do something wrong and as they grow up they eventually just kick them out the house and never to see them again God is not like that God is a loving compassionate ruler he still is there for His children. He's still there for His people. And God knows they're going to mess up. That's, that's just amazing. That's grace. We confess sin. We ask God to forgive us. And a few minutes, a few hours later, we sin again. But God is gracious and merciful. And this is what we see in the book of Daniel. We just don't see, we see God as the actor. We see God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion. But we also see God's wrath, God's judgment. And here we see God showing love to the Jews going to Babylon. But, with looking, but bringing Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah into the king's view. And the beautiful thing is, sometimes we might find ourselves in a situation where it's dark and we think God has forsaken us, God has left us, but that's not true. God will never leave us, He'll never forsake us. He's still there, working in a mysterious way. We cannot see it, but we don't need to see it. We just need to know from the Scriptures that God will never leave us, never forsake us. It's us that turn our back on God and walk away from Him. But here we see Daniel has made up in his mind, verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself 
And God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Again, we're reminded of, of humility here. How easy it is when God shows favour towards us, we go out there and we boast in our flesh. Instead of saying, God has given us favour. God has shown favour upon us. God has shown his love, his goodness and his kindness upon us as we go into new ventures in our lives. What can we learn about Daniel in this situation? Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved. Daniel purposed in his heart, determined to take heed, not to defile himself. Now we can get caught up in, 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 in different arguments. We can say, well, Daniel did it because of not wanting to, to um, be disobedient to the dietary laws. Or we could say Daniel did it because he knew that the meat was sacrificed to idols. Well, vegetables can also be sacrificed to idols. I think there's a bigger picture here, and I thank the Lord for great commentators that have given a little bit more insight. Yes, the dietary laws might have been in, 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 in view here, idols might have been in view here, but someone said that the four young men kept away from the king's food and chose to eat only those things that grow naturally. Vegetables, grains, water coming from natural spring. Why? Because they wanted to remind themselves that God rules. That God is the one that provides. Not the king. Not the king. They wanted to trust their God, knowing that the Creator God provides their food. And they wanted to do, depend upon this Creator God. They wanted to depend upon their God and not depend upon the King. And there's, there's other reasons we know that they can also look after their whole being, their health. Again, we, we warn that if we indulge in food, there is a thing known we gain weight. And we can become sluggish in our thinking and we become lethargic and we become slow. We don't, we're not as active and as sharp. But let's just go back to the reason why Daniel did this. So that he can remind himself that they are going to depend upon God for everything while in Babylon. That's why when we eat, we say grace. Why do we say grace? Is it just something we just run over in our families? Thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you. Let's eat. We say grace because it reminds us of our dependence on God's providence for our food, which comes through our work, our hands, whatever we do out there, our wages.
You can either thank God before you eat or you can thank God after you've eaten. In the Old Testament that spoke in Deuteronomy that they thank God after they ate so that they would not become proud in their hearts and then forget their God. Because it happens. I've seen men and women that start businesses and they struggle in the beginning. They trust God and as soon as their businesses flourish, they push God aside. And then it's all about me, myself, I. Paul shows us how he depended on God and how he trusted in God's providence and and God's rule. There was a time when when he was on a ship in Acts chapter 27, verses 33 to 36. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There we see Paul trusting in God's rules, in God's providence, reminding himself of, 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 of his dependence on God. Jesus did the same when he broke the five thousand, when he broke the loaves for the five thousand in John six eleven. He said the same. John six eleven. And when they had eaten their full, they told he told the disciples, sorry. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. There we see Jesus thanking his Father, depending on his Father's providence. I remember... There was a young man that asked this theologian, every time you eat something, I see you just give thanks to God. And he said, yes, I do that. Because it reminds me of God's, that I'm dependent on God to provide. And this is all what Daniel and his friends wanted to do. They wanted to keep their minds sharp and focused so they keep their eyes fixed on their God as they're in as exile in, in Babylon. What great men. They're willing to make sacrifices. Imagine, Daniel's 15 years old and he goes to this chief of eunuchs who might be 20, 30 years older than him. But he goes trusting God. And God gave favor to them. But we also read in verse 17, And for these four youths God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. It's amazing to see again how God took care of them. But he didn't, he didn't just do it in let go and let God, he's going to now give us all the skill. No, these men were responsible to learn the literature, to learn the language. To learn things.
And then we, then we, oh, we hear in our own churches and, in, and around people that, oh, you mustn't read that book. Don't read that book. It's, it's a bad book. It doesn't belong to our worldview. It could be a book on Buddhism. It could be a book on, on Islam. It could be a book on something. No, stay away from that. Why not read it? Why not get to know what other religions are about so that we can have, have better arguments, be better educated in things? But we're always quickly to say, no, 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 you mustn't read that book. Ooh, you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. How the church talks. We need to, to, to look to God when, yes, we need discernment when we read other books. We need, but we need to learn the different literatures and the different wisdoms of the world, the different worldviews. So when we sit down with people, we can, we can get into their minds and understand where they're coming from. Moses was learning all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And the, and the Apostle Paul was learned in, in secular poetry and the Greek philosophies. He quoted from these books. You read that in Acts chapter 17 and in Titus. There's nothing wrong with getting to know different worldviews as a Christian. When I was at BI, I did a, 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 a three-week crash course on Islam. We still went to the, the mosque. We still went to one of their services. Didn't change me. I'm still here, still a Christian. Some people said, no, you mustn't go. It's going to bring bad luck to your life. I don't know, there are a lot of people who are superstitious out there. We serve a great God and He is the one that preserves us, sustains us, but we are responsible to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are responsible to, to pick up this Bible so we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also grow in our discernment. And God is giving them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom so that He is going to benefit his people as they go forward. And we'll see how God's wisdom is far superior than the wisdom of the world. God takes the weak things of the world and shames the strong things. We need to know what's going on in our cultures. We need, I think it's 1 Chronicles um, chapter 2. Chapter 12, 1 Chronicles chapter 12 says this. I think it was Lloyd-Jones who, who, someone put a lot of sermons together, different sermons, and, and the heading of the book was Knowing the Times. Knowing the Times. And this is what um, 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 12 verse 32 says. Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's why one thing we go back to church history so we can look at what's, what, what went on in the churches maybe two, three, four hundred, five hundred years ago. We do church history. So it takes us through a timeline. But if, we, if, we, if we're following the news, 
if we're reading the newspaper or reading the news on our phones, if we're reading other books just to find out what's going on in, in the secular world, we get to know the times. It helps us in our conversations with people. It doesn't mean we're becoming like them. It doesn't mean now we, 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 we don't worship God anymore. God put these young men, young boys, in Babylon to learn their languages, to learn their, their, their wisdom, to, to have understanding in, in the learning. God preserved them. Why? Because they are the ones that hold fast God in their hearts and their minds. And when it was time for them to come stand before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better in all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see that they were far greater because they served the true living God. That's why fruits of the Spirit is, is self-control, patience, faithfulness. We need self-control when we read other books. We need to trust God. We need to do a little bit more learning so that we can know what's going on around us. And then verse 21, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. We know in Jeremiah he prophesied that they would be in exile for 70 years. And Daniel lived through this whole exile episode. Where was King Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, he had died. But God's servant continued. Daniel was, like I said, he was 15 years when he was taken into exile. And in verse 21, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, that's 536 BC. So from 605 BC, work your way down to 536 BC, basically makes Daniel plus minus 80 years, more 80 years plus. He was able to live and see the fall of Jerusalem. He lived through the 70 years of captivity and he saw them going back when King Cyrus, the Persian king, allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But we see God rules. God showed favor towards Jerusalem. He's the one that gave Daniel and his friends the skill and learning skills in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. And we'll see the purpose of that, Lord willing, next Sunday. But the beautiful thing is, kings die off. Nations die off, but God's servants continue. God's servants keep marching on. They just pass the baton to the next one. None of us here, we're not invincible. God just raises up someone else. The world will always say, oh, what happens when this preacher dies? What's going to happen to Christianity? That's going to carry on because God is ruling, not that man. What's going to happen to our church? It's going to carry on. God will raise up another pastor. 
Let's, let's trust God's rule. Let's look at, let's take these two evidences. God gave Jerusalem to the Babylonians. God gave favor to Daniel and his friends to show us that God rules no matter what situation we are in, no matter where we are, let's be encouraged to trust in God, the God who rules, the God who is sovereign over everything. And let us deny ourselves, let us take up our cross daily and let us follow Him, let us live for Him. He's the one that died for us. So we no longer live for ourselves but for Him, the God who rules, Jesus who is King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this lovely book to be reminded that you are a great God. That you are sovereign over the universe. But we are still responsible to do our thing in this world. To play out our responsibility. Forgive us, Father, when we take our eyes off you, your Son, and your Spirit. And we try to do things our own way. But help us to learn from Daniel. Help us to learn from Daniel's faithfulness to you. He was a faithful man. And his friends were faithful as well. But help us to see your faithfulness to your word. What your word says you will do. So we thank you, Father. Thank you again that you rule. Thank you again that nothing catches you by surprise. Thank you again we can look to you and trust you. You're the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. You never change. So thank you, Father. Thank you again that you put your spirit in us to help us, to grow us, so we can be strong and courageous living in this fallen world. But give us wisdom, Father, every day when we wake up. Give us wisdom and understanding to walk in our ways, to bear fruit and to trust you. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.